I mentioned this last week, but officially as of Friday night, it's been 10 years since we planted a new church in St. Louis Park that started meeting here Sunday evenings. Friday night marked our 10-year anniversary. Thank you so much, church family, for being a part of this and journeying with us. But before we started public worship services 10 years ago, we gathered in my apartment down the street, Minnetonka Boulevard, at the Aquila Park Apartments. Brittany and I had a group of people that were gathering, and we were talking about what it would look like to be a new church, to be be a new expression of the church here in St. Louis Park. We were studying the scriptures and praying together and dreaming together and trying to build a team. And we were working on forming what we call a core team, then also collecting a launch team, so people who would come and, and make us feel good about ourselves because there were actually a few people here and with us. And as we were working on building this team, we had a group of people together in my apartment, and we were talking about what the, what the church would be like and what the church would do and, and how the church would operate. And I remember one guy particularly asking, he said, what's going to be our thing? This new church, what's going to set our church apart from all the other churches? You know, like McDonald's has the Big Mac, and Burger King has the Whopper, and Chipotle has the burrito. Taco Bell, who can keep track of what they have, but they have things. What's going to be our thing? We didn't even have a name for the church at this point. He was just like, what is our thing? And I don't think he liked my answer because he never came back. <laughs> I said, I don't know that we're going to have a thing. I, I, I think our thing is going to be to be the church. Like, we're going to just keep doing what other churches have been doing for generations before us. We're going to be a new expression. We're going to be a new church, but we're not going to have like a new thing that's going to set us apart from all the other churches. We're not in competition with the other churches. We're simply trying to reach more people and open up opportunity for more people to find community in Jesus and with Jesus' people. So here's what we're going to do. Here's going to be our thing. We're going to like open up the Bible and read it together. We're going to sing some songs about Jesus together. We're going to pray for one another we're going to have meals with one another. We're going, to, we're going to find people who are in need and help them. And then when we realize that we ourselves have needs, we're going to help one another. Amen? That's, that's what we're going to do. And so I don't really know how to answer your question, but there's not going to be anything that sets us apart from all the other churches. Like I said, he never came back. Um, and that's fine. I hope he found another church that has their thing. Um, but 10 years later, as I reflect on this, reminded that Park doesn't have a thing, but we do have an identity. There's a certain way that we go about being the church and expressing the church. And so for the month of January, we're talking about that. We're doing this mini-series exploring why Park exists. And so for the month of January, we're going to consider our mission, our vision, our values, and then we'll get into a new sermon series in the month of February. But I want to just remind us, last week, this is kind of an overview of what I did last week. Uh, we talked about our mission. And you can think about this like our purpose, why we exist. And this is in line with all the churches, right? Jesus gave us the Great Commission. I talked about this last week, so I'm not going to go deep on this today. This is just a way of a review. We exist to be and make disciples of Jesus together, to be followers, apprentices of Jesus, and we do that in community. That's the whole reason that we exist. That's why any Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled church exists, to be and make disciples of Jesus in community, to do that together. Our vision 
We strive to live as a family of sons and daughters who pursue God together, brothers and sisters who practice the ways of Jesus together, and neighbors and witnesses who proclaim God's gospel to the world in word and deed together. This is, this is kind of how we do church. And again, this is nothing unique. Like this language is descriptive of a park, but it really it's nothing different. It doesn't set us apart from other churches. It's just the way that we kind of capture what the church is. And then uh, I talked about this a little bit last week as well, our culture or Park's posture. And I said specifically in this season because a lot of organizations and a lot of churches, they nail down like their core values, their key values. And uh, I'm just a little bit hesitant and resistant to do that myself for various reasons. And myself and the elders and the staff and the leaders, we haven't spent much time lately like trying to nail down if we have core values and what they are. And so this culture, this Park's posture, I want to give it a big asterisk. It's just in this season and it's kind of what I care about. And since I do a lot of preaching, it's going to come out. Whether you like it or not, I don't know. It's just I have to be authentic to who I am and what God is doing in me. And so these are some of my values. This is some of my posture in this season of life and ministry. It's identity before activity. And I talked about this last week, so I'm just going to do a quick overview. Identity before activity. That we want to become followers of Jesus. We want to be in Christ. We want our identity. That's why you even see in our vision statement, sons and daughters who pursue God. Identity and then activity. Brothers and sisters, identity who practice his ways, activity, neighbors and witnesses, identity, who proclaim his gospel, activity. That's, that's part of our culture here at Park. Organic relational discipleship, or just friendship. Like, we have some organization. We try to organize small groups and Bible studies and events and bulletins and gatherings. We, we try to bring some level of basic organization to the church community, but ultimately, we want people who call Park Community Church their church home to get in deep and meaningful relationships with others where we can be discipled together to Jesus in relationships through friendships. Intimacy, authenticity, simplicity with God, self, and others, that's just so what my heart longs for, that we would be growing in intimate, real relationships, that we would grow in authenticity in who God wired us to be, how God has created us, and that we would figure out how to do life and church in a simple way with God, with self, and with others. And we would be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And again, I talked about this last week, but that means a right relationship with God, self, and others. Not, not like this religious patting me on the back like, I am righteous, I am moral, I am Christian, I am good. No, like we're hungry for the one who is. And we want to embrace the tensions or the gray. That means when there's social issues, when there's political issues, when there's theological issues and debate and discussion, we really want as a church family to pursue unity among diversity. We don't want to pursue uniformity. We don't want a church culture and community that all has the same exact theological bend or the same exact way of thinking about how to engage the world socially through social justice or biblical justice or whatever terms you want to use. We don't want to think politically as one unified unit. Like, we want diversity. But in that diversity, we want unity. We want to love one another because that's what Jesus calls us to. We've been reading through the book of John for over a year, and so much of that book is about love. They will know that you are my followers, you are my disciples. If our mission is to be and make disciples of Jesus together, Jesus himself says that the world will know that you are my disciples, you are my followers, you are my apprentices, when you love one another. And the way to, of love isn't to think the same way, it's to love people who think differently than you, amen? amen? All right, thank you. And then lastly, releasing and receiving. And we talk about this a lot at Park, that we want to release our agenda. 
Release our opinions. Release our perspective. Release our doubts. Release our fears. Release whatever it is to God, and then we want to receive the life that he has for us, the grace that he has for us, the forgiveness that he has for us, the joy that he has for us, the endurance, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Like all the fleshly stuff that we carry, weekly when we gather here on Sunday mornings and when, you, when we scatter into homes and when you're in relationship and conversation over coffee or food with other people, we want to we come together as a community releasing all the things that our flesh carries. And in exchange, we want to receive all that the Spirit of God has for us. Amen? So for the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do here is go back to our vision statement, Parks Practices, and we're going to talk specifically about what it means to be sons and daughters who pursue God. That's this week. And then next week, we're going to talk specifically about what it means for us to be brothers and sisters who practice His ways. And then the week after that, we're going to talk specifically about what it means to be neighbors and witnesses who proclaim his gospel together. So that's where we're going for the next three weeks. This morning, we're going to zero in on what what it means that we are sons and daughters who pursue God together. And again, I want to remind you, identity before activity, identity before activity. See, pursuing God is a great thing. Through reading scripture, through praying, through worship, like all the ways that we pursue God, silence and solitude, the spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, all of those things are good. And they're right activity for Christians to do. We ought to pursue God. But in order for us to pursue God in a healthy, life-giving way, we have to remember that we can pursue him because of who we are. We've been adopted into his family. He calls us sons and daughters, so therefore he welcomes us into his presence without reservation. God can be trusted because he's perpetually for you. Now, I want to acknowledge that there's a lot of father wounds in this gathering. With this many people in a room, there's there's multiple father wounds. Wounds from, from your birth father, from your from your maybe fill-in father figure, maybe you as a father, you have wounds because it's hard to be a father and you're, you're inflicting wounds on your own children as you're getting it wrong and then you're like, oh man, maybe I should have a little grace on my dad because this is hard. Or for your mother, just think about the parenting. Or maybe you don't have kids, but you think about your parents or your guardians growing up, like there's wounds. The statistics say that about one in four kids in America right now grow up in a single parent home, and 80% of those homes are single mothers. So there's a lot of fatherlessness. And even among people who have fathers in home, whether it's a biological father or a stepfather or a father figure filling in, so many people report, and this can be true of mothers too, they report like emotional absent parents physically distant parents, manipulative parents, abusive parents or parent figures. And so as we step into this topic today, be reminded that there is significant wounding around this area. And so much of of who we are and how we act, and I don't want to say who we are because we're we're going to see in the scripture this morning that in Jesus we have a new identity. We have a good heavenly father. So if you had a great earthly father, your heavenly father, God, is similar but better. 
Like all the things that you appreciate about your earthly father or father figure, God, the heavenly father, is that and more. If you have a bad or a poor or a wounded relationship with your earthly father or father figure, God, your heavenly father, steps into that place and he is what you longed for and still long for. And so we need to keep this in mind even as we step into this topic and as we live as a community together, know that people that you interact with, they may act differently than you. Surprise, right? They may have different values. They may have a different woundings. They may have different reactions that may rub you the wrong way. But keep in mind, every one of us has a story. And every one of us has nature and nurture that builds into that story. Every one of us is shaped by our caregivers. And there's a lot of wounds. And so together, what I want us to do as a community is say, how do we now find our collective, new, glorious gospel identity in God, knowing that you and I have been adopted into a new family, and we have a God who loves us, who who reveals himself to us as Father. That's one of the main imageries in Scripture, one of the main metaphors that God uses to, to, to describe himself and to reveal himself to his people, both Old Testament and New Testament, that he's a father, and that we are sons and daughters. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to spend some time doing a scriptural look at what it means for God to be Father. And and I know this is going to hit each of us a different way. I'm going to pause, I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask God the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit to massage into each one of our hearts in a unique way what we need to hear for us to find our identity as God's son or daughter and to be able to call him father and find joy in it. Would you pray with me? Would you open up your hands in a posture of releasing? God, I don't know what every person in this room needs to release this morning as we think about you as father and us as sons or daughters. Lord, I don't know what wounds, what joys, what what disappointments come, what baggage comes with this, but you do. You know each one of us individually. You know the, the numbers of hairs on our head or the lack thereof, for we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so we release this morning whatever we're carrying that would get in the way of us seeing you for who you are seeing us for who we are in your eyes and having this relationship of love and joy and meaning with you. We want to receive you as Father this morning. And so what I'm going to do is just read through some scriptures. I'm going to have them on the screen because there's a bunch here and I don't want you to get left behind and try to do like the Bible drill, the sword drill. Some of you grew up with that environment. Others of you are like, man, that's so embarrassing. Here's what I want you to know. When you come to Park Community Church, you can look at the table of content all day long. There shouldn't be any judgment if you don't know where the book of Matthew is. Like, welcome to this community and we'll find the book of Matthew together. Okay? But so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go through a bunch of different scriptures And then we're going to land on one at the end that we're going to look at more in detail together. First one, John 1.12. To all who did receive him, 
speaking of Jesus, coming as God on earth, who trusted in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen, Quinn. That was perfectly timed. <laughs> children of God. 2 Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. 1 John 3.1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. O oh Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. My son, my daughter, Give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Think about that invitation from God. Give me your heart. So often, church family, I find myself trying to protect my heart, trying to close off my heart, trying to, trying to, trying to wrap my heart in impressive whatever. And God just says, give me your heart, trust me with it, and let your eyes observe my ways. And this next one doesn't refer to God as Father, but I want you to think about the Father's face. I want you to think about how this passage describes the Father's posture, God's posture towards his people, Father, Son, and Daughter. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. That word, Abba, it means Daddy. It's more intimate than father. Father sometimes is formal, this formal address of God. It's actually a relational address of God, but sometimes we formalize it. And the scriptures actually say we can come to him like a little child running to a dad. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if a son, a daughter, then an heir through God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I want you to grab a Bible. And look at Luke chapter 15 with me. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a pew one there in front of you. It's on page 874 in the pew Bible. Luke chapter 15. 
This is a very familiar story. It's titled The Prodigal Son. It's a metaphor. It's a parable, an image that Jesus gives his disciples, his followers, for them to understand what God, the Father, is like. Do you follow along as I read it? And he, Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And, he, and, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Some of you may not feel worthy to be called a son or a daughter of God because you've squandered all that he's given you. His grace, his provision, his love. You, you might identify with this son. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. The son, the daughter who feels unworthy because they've taken advantage of the father's love, the father's provision, the father's grace, comes back hungry and thirsty, right? We even see that here in this passage, verse 17. He, he, he comes to his senses. He says, how many of my father's hired servants, how, how many of my father's employees have enough food? But here I perish with hunger. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I have nowhere to turn in desperation. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to admit to my father that I've done wrong. And I'm going to, I'm going to just plead and beg with my father to make me one of his employees, one of his hired servants, so that I would get bread and drink. And I'm not asking for forgiveness, dad. I'm not asking for lavish provision. I'm not asking for you to forget what I've done. I'm just asking you to show me a little bit of mercy and give me food and shelter. But what does the dad do? He lavishes his love upon him. He 
slaughters the fattened cow. He has a massive celebration. My son, my daughter has returned. I'm not holding their offenses against them. I'm not saying, well, it's going to be a year of grounding. No, come to the table, son. Come to the table, daughter. You are worthy to be in my presence because I am for you. I love you. All I want is relationship with you. Come, pursue the father. Run to the father. And then let's keep going. Verse 25. Now his older son, remember there were two. The younger one is the one who went and ran and squandered everything. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Maybe you relate with the older brother. That's not fair. I've done all the right things. I've been religious. I've been moral. I've been good. I don't take advantage of the Father's grace. I don't squander all the Father's wealth. I steward it well. I do what I'm supposed to. I show up at church. I give my money. I serve on a team. I do my devos. I, I do all the right things. That's not fair. This is the older brother's attitude. Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out, and the ESV uses this word entreated him, which I don't really like. Other versions use this word pleaded with him. So the older brother, in his religious judgment and superiority, is outside sulking. That the father is showing grace and love and celebration to the younger brother who by all, all, all earthly standards is unworthy. And the father, see, here, here's one of the things with identity and activity. Like, we are sons and daughters who pursue God. We need to keep in mind that God the father first pursues us. This older brother is outside sulking. What does it say? Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. He's not coming into the house, not coming into the party. His father came out and pleaded with him. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Now, I, I love this. In our Religious minds and our irreligious minds, we can side with or favor the younger son or the older son. Like, yeah, good points. Or we can be like, what a judgmental, rude older brother not having love for his younger brother and not understanding the father's heart. And, and, and he deserves to be outside sulking. Right? How many times in our earthly experience would the, would the parents say, just come in when you're ready. I'm sick of your attitude. Don't you understand who I am? Don't, don't you have any love for your brother? Can't you see the big picture? Like, you belong outside. Stay outside. You have no grace. You have no mercy. You have no compassion on your brother. Therefore, you stay outside. Like, your religious superiority is not welcome at the table. 
we're going we're gonna to welcome that, the one who was far away, the one who was sick and needy and who realized and came home, but, but the religious superior one? No, they're the real problem. Right? That, that's kind of how we tend to work. And if we're honest with ourselves, some days, some moments, maybe for an hour, a couple minutes, you're like the younger son, just giving your flesh whatever it wants. Then all of a sudden, Father, I blew it again. Just called me a servant. He's like, no, come back to the table and celebrate. Other times, we're like the older brother. All those foolish people out there doing all this stuff, taking advantage of all these other Christians who, who don't get it. They're not holy enough. They're not moral enough. They're not pure enough. They're not doing their devotions enough. They're not serious enough. And look at what God does with the older brother. Verse Pick it up again in verse 30. But when, and this is the, the older brother's attitude toward his younger brother. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, and you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, listen to God's voice now, Jesus giving this parable, parable so that we understand what God the Father is like towards his children. Here's what he says. The father says, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. God, the good father, he doesn't shame and ostracize and cast out the religious superior son, nor does he ostracize and cast out and shame the lacking morality Son, he says, you're both welcome. Come to the table. Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. This is God the Father's posture towards you and I, his sons and daughters. All that is mine is yours in spite of your religious judgmentalism. All that I have is yours in spite of your lack of morality and consistency and your persistent sin. Isn't that the imagery here? Isn't that what God is trying to get across through Jesus with this parable? That when we enter into the family of God, God the Father is perpetually for his sons and daughters. He's perpetually welcoming us into his home, welcoming us to his table, saying, I want to lavish my love upon you. I want to celebrate my relationship with you with the best food, the best drink, the best celebration, dancing, amen? Not like this somber, like, and there's a time and a place, please don't hear me wrong, there's a time and a place to repent and to feel the weight of our sin, like, like the, the prodigal son who, who returns home just in humility, but man, God meets him with grace. He's like, smile, son. I am for you. I love you. And religious son, come on back in whenever you're ready. You can sit out here and sulk if you want, but man, you're welcome back in. It's warm. The fellowship is rich. The drink is good. The food is satisfying. Come and feast and drink with your father and your brothers and your sisters and so here's the reality. Because we are sons and daughters, we can pursue a relationship of intimacy and authenticity and simplicity with God, our good Father. We have no need to hide or pretend. Let me make this personal as we wrap up this morning, as we move to communion. If we enter God's family through trusting 
Jesus' sacrifice. We are adopted as sons and daughters. And we can move from feeling insecure in God the Father's presence to secure in His steadfast love. We can move from hiding from Him and we can run to Him. We can move from wondering if He's criticizing to trusting that He's complimenting. We can move from suppressing our emotions and our feelings and our shortcomings from our Father to admitting our emotions and our feelings and our shortcomings to God, trusting that He has our best in mind. He already knows us anyway. We can move from striving to provide for ourselves to trusting that God will provide for us. We can move from fear of failure to feeling free to take risks. We can move from fear of his rejection to confidence of his acceptance. We can move from fear that you annoy him to confidence that he adores you. You can move from wondering if he loves you, to knowing that he loves you. You can, you can move from wondering if he even likes you to trusting that he takes great delight in you. You can move from fear of his disapproval to confidence that you've been approved. You can move from fear of his punishment to accepting his well-intentioned discipline. That's a really important sermon for another day. You can move from fear of his punishment to accepting his well-intentioned discipline. You can move from fear of his frown to assurance of his smile. You can move from fear that your sin will separate you from him to trusting that his heart is for you, that his blood forgives you, that his righteousness covers you, that his grace holds you, that his mercy is upon you, that his promise is for you, and that his life was given to you. Amen? Let me pray. Would you open up your hands with me again in a posture of releasing? God, we continue to release the things that stand in the way of us living in full acceptance and freedom in relationship with you. Lord, for the times when I give in to my flesh and I'm like the younger son, I, I, I release that. Lord, for the times that I trust my own righteousness and I have a superior outlook towards others, I, I, I release that. Holy Spirit, now I pray that you would reveal to each one of us things that we need to bring to the table and release. But Lord, then in exchange, we want to receive you and your welcome, your invitation, your grace, your mercy, your steadfast love, your smile, your acceptance, your approval your affirmation. And so we come to the table this morning, Lord Jesus, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, the righteousness that is given us by you. For he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. And so we come to the table to eat the bread, being reminded that your body was given for us. And we come to the table to drink the cup, to be reminded that your blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we receive that now, that we could walk in freedom and assurance of your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.